0: Today's show is sponsored by Mac Weldon. They make the most comfortable hoodies, sweatpants, underwear, and socks you'll ever wear. You can wear the socks wherever you want to go. You can wear them to interview the famous Neil Gaiman. So that's what he did today. Neil, what do you think of these? You're a stylish guy. Um, you can give an unvarnished opinion. I think they They're look so- a lot
1: like socks.
0: They look exactly like socks because they are socks from Mac Weldon. They smell great. They're made of naturally antimicrobial fiber. I pay for them with my own money. They're easy for you to buy. You can go to macweldon.com. You get 20% off your order with the promo code RECODE. That's macweldon.com, promo code RECODE. For some reason, you don't like these socks and you will like them. But if you don't like them, you hang on to them, tell MacWeldon you would like your money back. They will send you your money back. 20% off at macweldon.com if you use the promo code RECODE. That's macweldon.com, promo code
1: RECODE. Neil Gaiman says they look like socks and he's right footwear is so peculiar i I pulled out for this i've been on this wonderful two-day press junket for american gods i looked in my closet before i came down to new york and there right at the back were a pair of lovely looking boots that i had fond memories of i remember buying them in about 2001 and uh and do they fit they still fit good. But my my feet have Your not feet have not gotten weight. No, and I thought those are beautiful. Why are they sitting in the back of the closet? I will wear them. So I pull them out, put them on, get in the car that takes me to New York, go to the hotel, go upstairs, and slowly remember why I put them in the back of the closet. As every step I take, they go. Squeak, squeak, <laughs> squeak, squeak, <laughs> squeak. scary boots. And I go, they, they're actually squeaky boots. Okay. So then I go to Twitter and I say, people of Twitter, help me. I have squeaky boots. And lots of people came up with the same answer. They said, ah, put cornstarch in your squeaky boots and they will not squeak. That's what you use Twitter for, is the, to uh, learn about foot you, care. You, uh, shoot everything. Care. You, you go with, I go to it with my questions. So they said, cornstarch. So I said to the publicist, could you... Get me some cornstarch. And the next thing, he shows up with a small cup filled with cornstarch and says, shall I send it to your room? And I said, sure. So now up in my hotel room, obviously, <laughs> seriously <laughs> troubling anybody from room service, this is white powder. They've seen worse. And I put the cornstarch into my boots yesterday, uh-huh. going, this will now fix the squeak. And we go off and en on, on, on mass a load of American Gods actors and producers and me to the theatre, we walk across New York, by the time I get there it looks like I'm wearing white boots all of the cornstarch has crept out through every sewing hole, through through the eyes of the boots and I'm wearing these white boots which I'm now having to dust off and now they still squeak, they just squeak differently. They, differently, they, they squeak differently, and now they look funny.
0: So, you need to tell Twitter about this.
1: I'm, I'm going to go back and complain. Twitter, I want my money, but actually, I did not pay for the concert. All right, this has been Shoe, talk with, gods has been shoe
0: talk with Neil Gaiman. <laughs> um, he's here at Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. This is brought to you by Digital Media, which is a real company with a funny name. Um, Neil, as you may have guessed already, um, has a new show coming out, probably as you're listening to this, on STARS called. Is it something about boots? No, no, it's called American Gods. Oh my
1: gosh, yes it is.
0: Many of you who are listening to this know what American Gods is because it's a very popular book. Some of you have not
1: read the book. So Neil, tell us what the book and the show are about. The book, which was written in 1999 and 2000 and 2001 and published in June 2001, and the show, which is coming up, are both about America. They're both about a man named Shadow, who is a, in prison for a crime that he did commit and has been looking forward to getting out and getting back together with his wife, who he, Laura, who he loves very, very much. And uh, in a sort of one-two sucker punch, he learns that he's being let out a few days early, and he's being let out a few days early because his wife was killed in a car crash. And he's on his way back to his wife's funeral when he meets a peculiar old grifter on a plane who offers him a job and the job which he winds up taking throws shadow into the middle of a battle an oncoming battle between all of the old gods, all of the things that people who have come to America over the years have brought with them and abandoned, uh, whether it's, it's leprechauns or, or the golem or, or things that people have believed in, come to America as all of the people who are in America are the, the descendants of people who came here or are people who came here. And also the new gods. And the new gods are... The things that demand our attention, that we give our time and our love and our attention to, whether it be the gods of podcast or of those small glass and metal and plastic objects that we all stare at in in rapt devotion uh, one one of the gods shows up
0: as Lucille Ball, I guess, at a Walmart, right? Yeah. On a Walmart TV screen. So as you may have guessed here, this is a mix of fantasy and science fiction and humor and
1: allegory. And horror and satire and sex and violence. And it's great. It's, it's everything is in there. I mean, at the time that I wrote it, I wanted to write an enormous book with a lot of stuff in it. And I wanted to write a great big overstuffed book that was filled with things and filled with mad digressions. And, and it's, this is
0: – I've watched the, the pilot mm-hmm. and a little bit of the second episode. And the only reason I didn't finish the rest is I had to go to sleep. But um, it's great. It's sprawling. You can tell from the very beginning. I mean it starts off with Vikings, right? vikings and slaughter and there's blood everywhere and then we cut to a prison there's just a lot it's, it's over the, the screen is overstuffed. did you imagine when you wrote this this is gonna be a movie this will be a episodic show
1: or none of these things could be accomplished this is gonna only exist as a novel i was it was like i say 1999 2000 i just spent a couple of years writing a lot of movie scripts I was very tired of writing movie scripts. I was very tired of movie-shaped stories, 120-page stories with beginnings and middles and ends uh, in which everything was there for a reason. And I wanted to write a big, sprawling thing that absolutely wasn't movie-shaped, which meant that in the years that then followed, when I would get phone calls from famous directors that I'd actually heard of, Who would say I want to turn this into a movie and I'd say great and they'd say but I can't figure out how you would do it because it's too long and too sprawling and if you throw away the stuff that makes it long and sprawling it's not American Gods anymore and I would go this is true and that would be the end of the conversation. They wouldn't write you a check and try to do it anyway? Nobody wrote me a check and tried to do it anyway. And I'm really glad, looking back on it, that they didn't. And at the time, the idea of making it for television as written would have been as likely as the idea of projecting it onto the moon for people every night. I, I mean, it just wasn't.
0: Because no one did stuff like that. And in retrospect, if you rewind, right, when this book came out, it's probably around the time that Sopranos had come. Or maybe Sopranos had been out for a year or two. And so the idea of doing these big epic stories
1: on TV was just starting to crop up. It was just beginning to start to cross the public imagination. We had not yet quite got to the point where everybody was watching everything on DVD and binge watching things was a thing and we had not quite got then to the point where the, the Netflix, idea of just sort of download and watch was happening.
0: Right. And, and the idea of taking a a giant story like game of Thrones and doing it 13 episodes a year for many years to come and getting a huge audience for a demanding thing that sprawled out in a bunch of directions. You couldn't comprehend that now you can. So, um, at what point did someone say, no, no, we've either, either time and technology and, and consumption has caught up to this book. Or
1: did you guys? Were you
0: kicking well, it, it
1: around? It was an interesting thing. There was there was a at the point where it obviously looked like it was a TV thing. I think about 2011, we actually went to HBO uh, with with Tom Hanks's company, Playtone, who had a deal with HBO and said, "Let's do it for you." And the exec. At, HBO who said yes, who got it and who loved it, uh, moved on, which was sad, because it meant that when you yeah. handed in a script, they were like, "No, that was that guy. We don't really get this. Exactly. Uh, there was just it was like orphaned. And they didn't quite get it. They were not which was fine. I mean, I, you know when you make something like American Gods, you go, "This is not going to be to everybody's taste." But you're also not going to make it more to anybody's taste by making it less like the thing that it is. You just going to have to lean
0: into it. So you end up at Stars, which is now run by Chris Albrecht, who ran HBO yeah. when it was doing The Sopranos and all those amazing shows. How involved are you in? Were you in in in
1: the creation of this thing? I was there, going out with Stephanie Burke and Craig Sigowski from from Fremantle Media, who were our studio. We went and talked to a few networks. I, I think meeting number two was stars. And we went, it's going to be there. Yeah. And then flying out to Toronto and meeting Brian Fuller and saying to Brian, I think, you know, we'd be really interested in you adapting and show running American Gods. And Brian said exactly the right thing, which was uh, he said, look, I, I don't know how I do this. But I love the book and I'd want the things that I loved in the book to be on the screen.
0: And then do you say, great, it's yours and walk away or, or do you stay hands-on
1: the entire way? No, I've been, I've been very hands-on yeah. and I like being hands-on. Um, and is that
0: that's part of when, you, when you're selling this, you say, I want to be involved in this. This isn't going to be something where I'm going to hand over my work to you
1: and you, you go do with it what you will. You know, I've watched too many friends of mine get hurt too many times by going I have written a book or a comic or I've created a thing and now I'm giving it to these people to adapt it's nothing to do with me I my my book or comic or whatever is the pristine thing and they're going off and doing something and then they do something and the people are like oh that's yeah, funny, but I don't I really like that thing that they did and and it gets horrible I from my perspective it's like look if you're adapting one of my stories I want to uh, you know yes, I want to be an executive producer and yes, I want that to be a real thing. Yes, I want to see drafts of the script. I want to give you input. And I love doing that. And I think it's better. The, the John Cameron Mitchell, who did Hedwig and the yep. Angry Inch, has made a film of adapted from a short story of mine called How to Talk to Girls at Parties, which is basically punks and aliens in a Romeo and Juliet story in 1977 South London. And it's wonderful. We're going to Cannes with it. Um, it's in the Cannes Film Festival, and then it'll come out, I guess, uh, probably toward the end of this year. Um, and for that, I was, you know, I was there all the way through. I was saying, okay, this is the, sh-, you know, if you're going to adapt the short story, the short story becomes yeah. the first act. You need this and this kind of thing to happen in the second act. I had long conversations with the screenwriter. I worked with John. I gave feedback. I argued. I so you, gave you it want, my blessing. You want, you want your
0: hands all over, it and you can. You're in, the, you're in the great position where you can demand that and get it, which yeah, is but, great.
1: But I also want people to make fantastic things, right? And that's the other thing because it's like I'm very clear on what I do and what they did, and what I'm there for is to help. Every now and again, I mean, I think there was one time with American Gods where they sent me. The script, and I said, "You know, you need to change that. You can't do that." And they were like, "No, no, 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 no. We think it's going to happen." What, to was, what was the point? I'm not going to tell you're you. No, um, But, but it, it's in. It's actually in episode one, uh, toward the end, and they said, "Well, we want this to happen." I'm like, "Okay, if you do that, I will write a suicide note explaining that it is your fault, and I will go and step in front of a bus because you can't." And they're like, "Are you that serious?" I am like. You know, kind of, I am, and they're like, "Great!" So you went, and they took it out. You're still and here talking to you. I'm so still you, here. You that scene is not in there. And the other night, they came over and said, "You know, you were right." I'm like, "Yeah, I know that I was right, but I knew that I was right because I'd spent 20 years living with these characters, and they they didn't know them that well." So this yet. this is a book you started
0: writing in the late 90s. You started making the TV show a couple of years ago. It comes out now, and it is about immigration in large part, yeah, uh, and the race is forefront. Um, there's a lynching scene at the end of the first episode, the beginning of the second episode. That it starts off in a slave ship. So obviously there's some, some timely stuff going on here. Do you figure that would have been timely no matter what?
1: You know, the weird thing for me is that when I wrote the book, I did not see any of this stuff as controversial. When I wrote the book... I thought, okay, uh, you know, every this is an this is an immigrant country. Some of the people came here; their ancestors came here twenty thousand years ago from Siberia, crossing the West, the Bering Straits, and and stuff. And some people came here four hundred years ago, and some people wanted to come here, and some people were were you know sent as prisoners, sent as slaves. Right. And but, it's not know, a, there's but, no question mark at the end of it. That, that's not... It's a full stop. That's That just one's a full stop. You're going, well, that's, this is an immigrant country. And furthermore, I don't think it's contentious or controversial to be pro Statue of Liberty and the poem thereon. You're going, I think that is part of the American psyche, the American dream. Nor did I think it was in any way controversial or laudable to go, I am writing a novel about immigration in America... Therefore, I am going to have lots of people in my book of different races because there are lots of different races in America. I will make a mixed race hero because I – he – A, for plot reasons and B, because he embodies America. That that all seemed to me to be very – Table stakes. Uh, yeah. It's not controversial. And then – And I don't think we thought it was controversial when we were writing the scripts. And I don't think anybody thought it was really controversial when we were shooting it. Um, So cut to 2017. And suddenly I'm describing the show, uh, you know, and and, uh, there there was a point where I was describing the show to – I was on the Empire Film Awards red carpet and somebody put a microphone in my face and I told them a little bit about the show, and I said, you know, things have changed. We did not think this stuff was controversial, but now it is. we seem to be occupying political territory and we're willing to take that, but we did not, you know, we didn't choose it to be. And the uh, the headline when it was published was, Neil Gaiman, author of American Gods, slams Donald Trump. (laughs) And I thought, I didn't slam Donald Trump. If I wanted to slam Donald Trump and talk about what a... Peculiar narcissistic ineffectual joke he is. I could have done, but I didn't. I don't even think I mentioned the poor well, that's man's That's the headline name. for
0: this podcast episode. Oh dear God! Donald um, Trump is an ineffectual joke, says Neil Gaiman. I,
1: you know, but and and then there were all these comments from people underneath saying, you know, we're going to be boycotting this show. And I'm going, a you're not actually going to be boycotting it. Technically, what you're going to be doing is not watching it. It's an it's something people have been doing with television shows for a long time. <laughs> You can boycott it if you want. Brackets, not watch it. You probably wouldn't have liked it much anyway. But it is that thing of going, well, okay. So we are now in this peculiar role where Vanity Fair put a thing up the other day saying American Gods is going to be the most political show of 2017. And I'm not going to argue with that. I'm not, you know, it's it's like I'm incredibly proud of the beginning of... Episode two with Mr. Nancy on the slave ship, and I think we say big important things. But I wish that we were in a world in which saying those was big received wisdom. Things and You didn't. You were, could it move It was on. just received wisdom, yep. of course. Um,
0: and we should point out that outside of
1: the U.S., you can
0: watch the show as well, right? Um, it's on Stars, which is primarily U.S. Uh, in the, in the U.S.,
1: you can watch it on Stars. So you got to pay for that. You can pay for that, but there are different ways to pay right. for it. You can download the Stars app yep. and watch it. You can do – there's a Stars add-on to, America, to Amazon Prime to watch it. If you are incredibly cheap and grumpy, you could wait until week eight because it's going to come out over eight weeks. And then when you get to week eight, you could take a free, free Stars week which yeah, is not part of the star's talking a, point, right? Yeah, they don't like it. They would you. rather you subscribe you could do for that You could do that free week and watch it. There are ways to watch it um, without having to pirate it. And if you're outside America, you can watch it in pretty much every territory in the world on Amazon Prime Video, and which is also uh, something that nobody... Amazon Prime Video has not actually got around to telling all of these countries that Amazon Prime Video has been there since December. So I go on Twitter and people say, how can I watch American Gods? And I say, you stars in America or around the rest of the world, Amazon Prime Video. And they go, but I'm in Australia. Maybe
0: you can send Jeff Bezos a bill for services rendered. Say, look, I've been marketing your service to you. You guys could cut me a check.
1: I actually have have mentioned to Jeff that I am now doing – Amazon Prime Video promotional work, and he was not abashed. He just laughed. (laughs) Speaking of sponsors, we're going to hear from some of our awesome sponsors right now. I'll be back with Neil Gaiman. Today's show is
0: brought to you by Willis Towers Watson. And the reason you need to know who Willis Towers Watson is because you need to have cybersecurity if you're an executive, if you are a regular person. But this is really aimed at people who own businesses. Last year, more than 400 million new malware threats were released and more than half a billion personal records were breached. Businesses spend $100 billion a year on cyber technology, but cybersecurity is as much about employee behaviors as it is technology. What does that mean? It means the average network breach can cost $4 million in company losses. This is where Willis Towers Watson comes in. They understand the only comprehensive approach to cybersecurity is to deal with all of it your people, your capital, and your technology risks. Willis Towers Watson decodes all that complexity through a comprehensive three stage approach. First, they assess your cyber risk throughout your business. Next, they protect your company with best-in-class solutions. And finally, they improve your ability to recover from future attacks. You can learn more about Willis Towers Watson can do for your business if you go to willistowerswatson.com slash recode. That part's important because they'll know we sent you there. That's willistowerswatson.com slash recode. Today's show is also brought to you by HostGator. If you're ready to take your website to the next level, if you're a first-time blogger or even if you're an experienced web pro, HostGator has all the tools you need to create a great-looking website or even an online store. If you need a boost in hosting power, HostGator offers cloud, VPS, and dedicated server hosting that can easily handle maximum visitor traffic. See what HostGator can do for your website. Right now, Recode listeners will get 60% off. That's 6-0. That's a lot. Go to hostgator.com slash recode. That's hostgator, like an alligator, G-A-T-O-R, dot com slash recode. This podcast is also brought to you by ZipRecruiter. If you're hiring, do you know where to post your job to find the best candidates? You can't just post them in one place. You won't get enough awesome candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to go to all the top job websites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com. You can post your job to more than 100 job sites, including Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city or industry nationwide. You post once, your qualified candidates will literally just roll in. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by Fortune 100 companies and thousands of small and medium-sized businesses. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's free. That's $0 by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. At ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. The Peter part lets them know that I sent you there. One more time, if you want to try it for free, go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Peter. And we're back with Neil Gaiman, who's doing promotion work for Jeff Bezos because Jeff needs needs free labor. It needs the money.
1: So this is pretty cool. This is your first big TV uh, project. Is that right? Um, big. I, yeah, I, I mean, yeah. it's I, I did a TV series for the BBC in the 90s, called Neverwhere, which the heart was in the right place. I think the original scripts were pretty good, but then the machine to make that did not exist at that time. The people and the ways to shoot it didn't exist at that time. What should have been, you know, 45-minute long episodes shot on film were turned into 28-minute episodes on video. And it, it was all a bit clunky.
0: And, and some of your work has been turned into movies. I think most people yeah. are familiar with Coraline or at least a Coraline.
1: Stardust, um, things like the Beowulf movie.
0: But you're best known or you, you, you sort of made your bones as, as a comic book author originally. We're in this era now where every single comic book hero is – now a franchise or they're being pushed into multiple movies with, with multiple characters. Every movie is a comic book. Your work is not part of this wave, at least not right now. You're not doing Avenger
1: characters. Although um, amusingly, yeah, I, amusingly may be the wrong word, but I, although I, I take enormous pleasure in the fact that the tiniest spin-off from Sandman has been turned into a TV show that is doing incredibly well, which is Lucifer on Fox. Ah, didn't realize. Which know is a character that I created in Sandman. Did you get paid depends. for that? I hope one day they will. one day yes. they'll, I, they'll get around to it. One day. So, what's the
0: best way to describe the the comic book work you did? I mean, because the point I was getting to was some of your characters in comic books do wear tights, but but generally, there it's a different kind of comic book and a different comic kind of comic book hero, and it's sometimes it's described as a graphic novel. It's more mature. How do we distinguish the work you've done in comics versus sort of traditional DC Marvel stuff?
1: I used to explain to people that I wrote comics for grown-ups because if I said I wrote adult comics, they thought it was a different kind of thing entirely. With, with naked people. The, the um, so I, I you know I did lots of comics for grown-ups. I, the one I was most famous for was Sandman, which I was enormously proud of, and.
0: I assume someone has come to you and said, we're going to make a Sandman movie because they've, they've, They've I mean, if they're making an Ant-Man movie, then presumably they've gone, they've tried Sandman.
1: Um, Sandman, I was 26 when I signed my deal with DC Comics for Sandman and which left them owning everything. And, um, and I was, and I knew what I was getting into. It was one of those things of going, okay, there is a judgment call to be made here. I'm doing work for someone and I don't own this work. I don't own this this thing that I've created. I do not own, but this gives me a platform to get what I'm going to do out into the world and that platform is important to me. Now, you know, if I'd owned Sandman... Would there have been a Sandman movie? Probably a good one out by now. Yeah. Would there be a Sandman TV series going on right now? Yeah, probably. Do you, do you go watch an Avengers movie
0: or a Superman versus Batman and go, it'd be fun
1: on to have one of these giant things
0: made for $100 no. million dollars with my with my name on it?
1: No, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I'm very lucky. I get to do what I want. I get to make up all these stories The ones I control get to be movies or TV, and I get to get there by working with people who I like. And that's the important thing for me. American Gods, I get to work with Brian Fuller and Michael Green. I like those men. They are smart, good writers, and we get on well together. Fortunately, The Milk, a a lovely, goofy children's book that I wrote a few years ago um i'm working on that right now with edgar wright who made hot fuzz and who made hot fuzz and and Shaun of the dead and i've got a new film coming up very really soon called baby driver which just looks amazing yeah yeah that's a great preview. and edgar and i have been working for a couple of years on it and we now have a screenwriter and we and it's going to be this sort of glorious giant mad animated movie. And the fun of doing that is the idea of let's make a great movie. It's not let's make a giant hundred and fifty million dollar thing and what what
0: do you think of that kind of film, leaving aside your authorship and control? Do you do you think those are great movies, those have a place in the world? Do you go, eh, it's not really something I, I want to see that much of?
1: I think everything I love that they exist. I worry that I think the last one that I really loved was probably the first Avengers movie, just because I felt like okay, this really does what it says on the can. It, it sets everything up. It does gets what it, a comic book is and isn't. It feels exactly. It, it 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 tastes like a comic book movie in a in a absolutely glorious sort of way. But I've always found the movies in some way to be a bit of a distraction. In, in comics, I tend to love comics. And right, so this is, not, lo- this is
0: not a snootiness issue where you're
1: above comics. You made no. your bones in comics. You love comics. I love comics. And a lot of the time what I love best about comics is that they're comics. And that is just, uh, you know, that's just me. I I have puzzled people over the years because I've been saying for what, almost 30 years now, since the first people talked about Sandman movies, that I would rather see no Sandman movie ever made than a bad Sandman movie. And they've gone, yeah, but I mean, it would be, even a bad Sandman movie could be huge and it would be hundreds of millions of dollars and you would be so rich and it would be, and we'd sell so many comics. I'm like, yeah, but I just don't, you know, I'm really proud of the comic. The Sandman, you've got basically about 13, 14 graphic novels um books that you can settle down with and i'm really proud of them i'm proud of what i did i'm proud of what my collaborators and i did and i don't want to make that less you you got into comics you broke in what mid-80s yeah, 80, 86, So this is,
0: I think, if I remember correctly, Dark Knight was a thing. This is sort of the r- real dark Batman work. Alan Moore was doing work. So the idea of taking comics seriously was becoming a thing again, or was becoming a thing. Was that what attracted you to comics, or did you like the sort of pure pulpy comic and wanted to do something else with it?
1: I think what seduced me was Alan Moore's work. Uh, what Alan Most was famous in The Watchman, Who did Watchmen. Uh, this was even before Watchmen. It was uh, Alan's work on a comic called Swamp Thing. Yep. And I remember looking at it and going, I remember thinking when I was in my early teens that you should be able to do comics that were as good as any other medium. And somewhere in my late teens, I decided that had been me being stupid. But here is Alan, and he is doing. Stuff that is as well written as any literature out there, as well paced and as well told as any movie, has dialogue as good as anything going on the stage and it just happens to be deep and smart and it's a comic. And it's a comic and, and has comic book characters in it and is a comic. Um, and I went like, okay, I want to do this. You know, this was that thing that I wanted to do. I want to do this.
0: Do you think if you were breaking, if you were, if you were that age now... And you looked at the media landscape in 2017. Do you think comics had, had that same appeal? Or did you go, oh, there's just so many more things I could play with. The comic book isn't inherently interesting. Let me go do, I don't know, make videos instead.
1: I don't know. If I, were, if I were like 19 or 20 right now, I would be probably, if I could, messing around with the virtual reality stuff. I, I did a, a, an event, an evening with Neil Gaiman, a reading and talk in Seattle, few weeks ago, which actually was, was where I ran into Jeff Bezos because he, he and his family were in the audience. And they came backstage afterwards. It's um, pretty cool, by the way, when Jeff Bezos comes to your event. It is. Instead of going to the Jeff Bezos event. It, it is. And it was thrilling. And And Jeff is very... I love having him in an audience because he has the loudest laugh of any He's human being. He's very it,
0: particular laugh, and which is you, not a stunt.
1: It, oh, no. That's how he laughs. So if you have him laughing in your audience... Half the battle has already won. But after the, the show, I had some guys show me what's going on in VR. And they put the headset on me, and I had half an hour of absolutely cutting-edge VR stuff. And did it blow you away? It blew me away, but it also made me... And they were like, do you want to do something with this? And I said, no, actually I don't, because I will come to this with a 56-year-old head and lots of ideas about the ways that other things are done and what is going to make this an amazing art form. Who will be someone who comes to it with a blank screen? Yeah it's it's the people who don't try and and go ah this is how we did it in movies or this is how we did it in comics or this is how you do it in books is the people or or how we did it in video games you know the video right. it, it's like no this is going to be its own Cause, thing the the your brain there's there's a little part of your brain which is going this is not real and then everything else in your brain which is going yeah we understand you part of the brain that says this is not real but by the way, I cannot take a step forward and fall off this 500-foot building as I'm on the edge of a skyscraper. Because my body is, is overrolling my brain yeah, or some combination of that.
0: We're already at this sort of wave where there's been this – enormous interest in VR and a lot of money poured into it and a lot of hype and then I think in, in the counter uh, action which is people saying, eh, I don't love it and I don't want to wear the helmet and maybe it's good for games but I'm not going to watch something for two hours
1: for that but you think someone's going to sort this out over I, time. I think it's going to become its own thing. I was absolutely fascinated by the ability to sculpt things in VR. People were making art and sculptures and things that do not exist in the real world, although theoretically I guess a 3D printer could take that right. thing and recreate it, only they'd have to figure out how you could recreate you know, They made me, as a gift, a Sandman and with, with stars for eyes and stars in his cloak, and it was the most amazing thing, and I got to walk around him and look at him, and, and he was a piece of art that they made for me that did not exist. And I thought that's going to be a thing. VR, VR galleries, stuff that there is no re- you know there is no reason for it to exist in the real world, but that does not mean it does not exist.
0: So you're comfortable with technology. Uh, you've been blogging for a while. You've got a big Twitter following. Are you still trying to navigate what stuff, how you want to live in a digital world versus sort of traditional ink and paper and, and what, how your media should be consumed, whether people should be reading a book or, or looking at it on the screen?
1: You know the the battle in American Gods between the old gods and the new gods, the 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 old ways and the ways of technology is a battle that goes on inside me and inside my head every day.
0: now I'm I'm, I'm I'm an uh, episode in ten minutes into it or twenty minutes into it, but it seems like your natural
1: bias is toward the older stuff and my, the new my stuff natural is. Bias is always toward the older stuff. I there is that part of me where. You know, at, at one point somebody says, "Yeah, you know, you, you're you're selling oranges from a barrel at the side of the road, and we're a, we're a bright new shopping mall." And I go, "You know, I think I'd rather buy my oranges from a barrel at the side of the road at it's the kind end of fun. the day." Um, shopping malls can get old, but they're also incredibly useful. And you know, if I didn't have Twitter, I wouldn't have. Learned that I was meant to put cornstarch. It seems like that was uh, not the best advice. It didn't work? Yeah. Okay. There's some downside. There's, a, there's multiple downsides to Twitter. There are. Um, mostly the fact that it looks like I have snowed wherever I go.
0: <laughs> um, but you're comfortable expressing that you, and you're not worried about, well, I got to keep all my thoughts in my head and those only need to come out on a page. If, if, you've got a, if you get an idea, you're going to express it
1: digitally I, or you're yeah, happy to do that. I don't think I've ever felt that I've lost a novel by blogging it, but on the other hand, what I genuinely do miss is boredom um, downtime empty time, dead time more than downtime. i some of the best things that I've ever come up with have been because you know I'm sitting on an empty railway station and I have nothing to read, and I do not have anything any any access to any methods of entertainment. So I'm sitting there and I'm entertaining myself or I'm at a gig or at a, I, I like bad theater and I like bad theater because if it gets bad enough, Your brain my, goes my, somewhere else. my brain just leaves. I, my body is still there but, and I can't pull out my phone or do anything, but I can go off and start thinking things. I think about this a
0: lot. I've got kids now and we're responsible parents so they don't have screens all the time. But if we get on a plane, they get screens. And they don't have that dead time and there's never going to be a time where they're waiting for someone to pick them up for an hour and they've got to sort of scratch things in the dirt. And I think, like you said, those are times where you can use your brain. Um, then I think, I'm probably just romanticizing that. And that was probably really boring, but pretty, it pretty unpleasant.
1: Yes, but it's also where I, I could list some of my best short stories and ideas for you and go – and I know this would not have happened if I had been entertained because I wouldn't have actually done that weird thing. You know, where do you get ideas from? You get them from daydreaming. You get them from putting two things together that weren't together before. You're sitting there, and you are going, Okay, so I'm on this subway, and I wonder who on this subway is the serial killer. You're looking around and then you're going, you know, so, okay. So there's a an electronic buzz and now we're on the moon and it's just the people in the subway car or not the moon. Now let's, let's make it a weird outer space jungle. So who's going to actually be useful? And who's going to, how is this going to work? Maybe we're going to break into two factions. Who's in faction one? And you just start building stories. Right, and you're not going to get that epiphany if you're, you get your nose in twitter if you've got your nose in twitter or even if you're just reading the paper
0: yeah all right so you're you're in the same pro-boredom camp that i am although i'm, I'm glad that my kids don't have to go through it entirely yeah I, or i, I, I put it this way i'm glad that that i have
1: a screen to stick in front of these kids on a car trip i think that is a fair thing you know the the alternative Ugly. is is coming up with games of I Spy that can last for months yeah they only want to do iSpy for a minute or two all
0: right so before we make this a full-on dad blog we should end it so you can go you guys can go watch american
1: gods it's great it's great fun and i think you're done promoting it right you're, you're done you're talked out i'm pretty much talked out i think this is my uh anti-penultimate interview a word that i never get to use very much i don't even um, know what it means anti-penultimate it's the one before the one before last okay so rest up um, um, go figure out your shoe thing Yep, yeah, we, we fly today I will I will trail cornstarch onto a plane Fly to LA And tomorrow night is the premiere Neil you know this as well as I But you should not bring the cornstarch shoes
0: on through TSA <laughs> They're going to stop you The rest of you um, I'm offering my other travel advice via Twitter You can go check me out there uh, Thanks again Neil for joining us Go check out American Gods on Stars You guys know how to listen to this podcast Because you're listening to it right now but just so you know, you can find other episodes of this podcast on Apple Podcast, not Apple iTunes. It's now Apple Podcast, Google Play, many of their fine places. If you rate us and review it, that's also awesome. I always tell you to go to Kara Swisher's podcast, Recode Decode. I tell you to go to Lauren Good's podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. So I'm sure you're already doing it, but if for some reason you're not, you should definitely go check out Too Embarrassed to Ask this week. Lauren is talking to Ray Maker. If you're a or fitness person, you know him as DC Rainmaker. Uh, and the reason you would care about this if you're listening to this podcast is DC Rainmaker is a media business. He's a media entrepreneur. And Lauren talks all about that stuff. It's very interesting. You should go check it out. Thanks again to our sponsors. So many sponsors. We love our sponsors. Mac Weldon, Willis Towers, Watson, HostGator, and ZipRecruiter. Thanks to Digital Media who brings all those sponsors in the door and distributes this show. Beth O'Connell helps out, so does Chris Basil. They're all awesome. So is Eric Johnson, who produces this stuff over at Recode. Oh, Ben, come on up here real quick. Some of loyal listeners will remember Ben from a previous episode. Say hi, Ben. Hello. Ben, what's your favorite Neil Gaiman book?
1: Fortunately, the milk.
0: You want to give us a synopsis of the plot? No,
1: thank you. Okay. (laughs) Go
0: get your own plot synopsis from someone else's kid. Thanks, Ben. Thanks again, Neil.